Good morning, my dear brethren in the Lord and fellow ministers. This morning we are dealing with a very, very important subject. What is in your hand? The God-given potential that God has placed within your hand as you raise your hands to the Lord, crying unto the Lord to use you. It's a very important subject, but before I do preach and teach on it, it is essential that I give some teaching on the various methods of preaching. It's vital that you understand these methods that you might see many mistakes that are prevalent in the church concerning certain types of preaching. Now, without further ado, let's go to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7. We're going to read there, because this is what our topic entails this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now he that ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lowest parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up from above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teaching, teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Let's pray. Father, your word is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. This day, God, move by your word, penetrate into the very recesses of our spirit and our souls. Unveil this truth, O oh God. Give us understanding what gifts lie within our grasp. Father, we do this teaching to enrich the church, that the church might reiterate the miracles of our God through their ministries in Jesus' name. Now, by means of a preamble, because it's essential before we minister, we have an introduction that whets your appetite, that gives you an understanding what we are aiming for. Let's speak about Moses first and foremost. When we look at Moses, Moses presented a shepherd's rod to God. The insignificant lad presented five loaves and two fish to God. Outstanding signs and wonders were wrought from what they gave God. What Moses and the insignificant lad presented was ordinary. However, when the power of Almighty God came upon it, which was ordinary, God's supernatural wonders were manifested. The ordinary became extraordinary. I do believe it is one thing for us to present to God what is in our hand. And yet it is another thing for God to place something within our hand. God has placed, I do believe, 
abilities and gifts within all of us. Some may have the hands of a surgeon with God-given ability to operate on people's bodies. Others are blessed with the hands of a carpenter with which to build edifices. Our responsibility as the people of God called for, for such an hour is this, is to discover the talent and the gifting God has blessed each one of us with. God, I do believe, no matter what you think of yourself, no matter what I think of myself, no matter what the world thinks of us, no matter what the church thinks of us, God has deposited greatness in each one of us. For the simple fact, we are His children. Amen. And you know when you walk in the street and you see people walking with their children and you look to the mom and dad, what you see in the children is nothing less than the image of their father and their mother. In, the ch in their children, you see a resemblance of father and mother in the children. Now in the same way, God has deposited greatness in each one of us. And when we walk before this world and walk within the church, surely people are to see the greatness of our God in us. There has to be a reflection of God because the image and the likeness of God, which was lost through Adam and Eve's sin, has been restored to you and I through the cross of Calvary. We were baptized, amen, by the Spirit into the body of Christ. We were died into the nature of Jesus. All things pass away, and behold, we got a new nature. And this nature that we have now received is nothing less than the nature of our God. We are a reflection. Hallelujah of our God as Jesus was the light of the world because we have become the tabernacle of God we have become the light of the world and amen even the salt of the earth now before I preach on this vital subject and that's to deal with fivefold ministry we have to discuss the various types of preaching for the simple fact that in our modern day, there's a type of preaching that's sad to say is taking the church, how shall I say, off the rails. And we don't want to in any way ourselves do that. And if we use a method which we believe can be misinterpreted, we want you to know beforehand that we are using this method that you might be more alert. And you cannot be alert unless you know the various methods of preaching and teaching. That you can test the spirits. Amen. That you can test the spirits. I am a child of God. Amen. Ian's a child of God. You are a child of God. But as much as we're children of God, do you know that we can be influenced by the world and we can present a worldly spirit to the church? Do you know we are, in, uh, we are influenced by what we see, what we hear, and this world is controlled and dictated unto by powers of darkness? And do you know what we see and hear can influence us, and we will say things that is not of God, not of the church, and can be, be even of the devil? And then again, on the other hand, because we are children of God, we can say things of God. Amen. Things of the Spirit. So you've got to judge the spirits. And how can you judge the Spirit when people are preaching? Unless you know the methodology of preaching. Unless you understand preaching. So with that in mind, we have to discuss the various methodologies 
or preaching. Now, there are several types of sermons. Most preachers do not focus on all the types. I am of the persuasion that the minister's peculiar ministry of perhaps being an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, a pastor, and a teacher causes them to concentrate on specific types. Now, I personally am acquainted with seven types of preaching. And the, number one is expository preaching. This type of preaching usually focuses on a particular book of the Bible, explaining verse by verse or passage by passage. This method of preaching is usually with apostles, pastors, and teachers. The intent of this method of preaching is to expose the meaning of the Word of God verse by verse or passage by passage. This type of preaching is best exercised in the Bible study service. Now, let's talk about biographical preaching. This deals with the lifestyle and ministry of biblical characters and usually conducted by pastors and teachers. This method of preaching is designed to build spiritual character. Let me reiterate that. By biographical preaching is designed to build spiritual character. And notice the wisdom, wisdom of God in the Word of God. The good and the bad of the Bible characters are disclosed so that the bad may be avoided and the good adopted in our life. Thus molding and shaping strong Christian character. We chew the meat of the character we study and what do we do? We throw away the bones. In other words, we partake of their good nature but we discard that of their bad nature. Amen. Now, evangelists excel in this method for their preaching centers around Jesus, the perfect man. Amen. Uh, so what, what I'm saying is this. Jesus is the perfect one. So concerning the evangelists, this uh, preaching on Christ, there's nothing that you need to discard of Jesus because all of Jesus is outstandingly good. He's holy, without sin, without frailty, without weakness. Amen. And these evangelists concentrate extensively, extensively on his life, which is out without sin, on his death. The, the, uh, the grave could not hold him because he knew no sin. The wages of sin is death. And the grave could not hold him because he never, he never sinned. Amen. And then his resurrection, which shows how he conquered sin, how he conquered death. And then also his healing ministry which speaks of Jesus being the power of attorney. When we speak to the Father, we ask anything in the name of Jesus. The Father has to answer. Amen. So the evangelist speaks of the Lord who is without fault and failure. So there, therefore, there's nothing to discard. Amen. Let's go on. Let's now talk about historical preaching. This deals extensively with the history of the Jewish nation and the early church. Now, what I'm saying next is of vital importance. Without making spiritual application to the present day, this type can be mere information. In other words, history can just be but mere information. And I'm sad to say, and I say it sadly, too many of us, servants of God, ministers of the gospel, 
preach and teach historically what God had done. It's good that people know what God had done, but they also better know what God is doing in the now. Amen. Praise God. However, when spiritual application is highlighted from preaching historically, this preaching can be very effective and challenging because we compare the comparisons made from the past to the present. This type of preaching or method of preaching is usually with the prophet. Now, let's talk about topical preaching. Amen. This method deals extensively with the various themes and topics contained in the Bible. Now, let me say this. Let me say this is vital. This is vital. And I'm just adding this in. It's not in my notes. The best way to read your Bible is topically. Doing it topic by topic. Some people read here, there, anywhere. But read a topic. Find a scripture relating to perhaps uh, the nature of God. And read all the, the passages that are attuned to that. Don't just read anywhere, anytime. Read topically. Now, the purpose of this method is usually to develop good Christian spiritual ethics. Classic examples are tithing, forgiveness, uh, eschatology, caring for each other, prayer, and many more subjects. And this method is usually with prophets, pastors, and te teachers. Let's now talk about textual preaching. This method, in many a way, is similar to expository preaching. However, while the preacher will concentrate on a given text, in most cases, it is not to complete a particular book. His text will change with each sermon. This method is usually with apostles, pastors, and teachers. Now, let's talk about typological preaching. Very famous amongst us Pentecostal people. Ralph W. Harris gives an excellent and outstanding definition of typology in his book, Pictures of Truth. A type, quote, a type is a person or thing in the Bible that God desi uh, designed to represent a picture or some person, thing or event that would appear in the future, unquote. This interesting and captivating method is also usually with apostles and prophets. Now, the problematic method, the allegorical preaching method. This type of preaching reveals hidden meanings in and from the Word of God. Jesus, the master preacher, often used parables. And to me, this is a form of allegorical preaching. Another common term for this method is metaphorical preaching. This method of preaching in a modern day church is predominantly with apostles and prophets, and more so, more so, the amillennial persuasion of doctrine. I have purposely itemized these various forms of preaching that I may present my thoughts on what God has placed in each of our hands. I have no other method of presenting this but via the allegorical method of preaching. Often, the allegorical method can be very misleading for it deals extens extensively with hidden meanings. Though Jesus, our master preacher, had used this method, in no was it his purpose to formulate doctrine. 
In most cases, he uses method to highlight certain practical truths. A classic example of this was the parable of the Good Samaritan, which teaches us how we ought to treat our fellow man. No doubt, there were those occasions when Jesus spoke on the kingdom of God that many of our modern-day preachers firmly believed that Jesus was presenting doctrinal truths. The purpose of this chapter is not to disagree with these dear ministers of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Rather, the purpose is to present the possible hidden meanings of the allegory, the allegory of the hidden of the hand of the minister of God using an Old Testament passage of Scripture to highlight what the Holy Spirit is doing in our day. Now, let me speak of some Scripture. I, 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 I believe strongly in hermeneutics. Now, hermeneutics is simply the science of interpretation. And whether we like it or not, even we people of God, students, theologians, the normal man of God, born of the Spirit, he ought to be governed by the science of interpretation known as hermeneutics. Amen. Now, whenever we fail to use hermeneutics, there's always false interpretation. And whenever we use hermeneutics to, to promote our own doctrine, we also cause chaos and confusion in interpretation. Hermeneutics has to be adhered to strictly. And let me give you an example. How that when we don't allow ourselves to be governed by a science, how that things go awry in the world. And when we don't allow ourselves to be governed by hermeneutics, things go awry in the church. Now, one of the sciences that we have that governs our life is what I call the science of, a math, of math, mathematics. Amen? And there, there are laws and principles that govern mathematics and even arithmetic. Amen? There are laws, there are principles. Amen? There are formulas that, are, that, that govern our daily life. And to use a simple example, let's take a regulation or a rule of, uh, of arithmetic. Amen? Uh, uh, let me give a simple rule when we, when we were kids. Now, how did you and I work out a square room or an area of a, of, of, of a room? The square area of a room. There was a regulation. There was a rule that governed us. Amen? And everyone was governed by this formula, this rule, this regulation. And you know that rule and regulation was length times breadth. And let's just, just say, for example, <coughs> that we say, no man, every tradesman now <coughs> can do his own thing <coughs> and, 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 <coughs> and formulate his own method of how to determine the square area of the room. And they forego the rule of length times breadth. <coughs> Can you imagine the various quotes that people will get? Some will charge, I'm just talking, length by breath by height, and it's not that way. You know what I mean? It's only to be by length and breath. And if people move away from that formula, can you imagine the different uh, uh, quotations, the different uh, 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 square areas of the room? You, you know what I'm talking about? These things govern us. They govern us. You understanding me, Ian? Can you imagine foregoing length times breast and implementing your own, your own formula to make some more money? Because <laughs> they charge so much per square meter. Are you with me? Or per square yard. So they have some uh, uh, device that's contrary to the, the, the modern regulation of length times breadth. Now, 
in the same way if we in the church forego the principles of hermeneutics then I tell you there'll be many persuasions of doctrine and by the way this has brought about all these different varied doctrines and interpretations of doctrines we have to adhere to the principles of hermeneutics the science of interpretation now I want to read a, a certain part over again I no, no, I haven't read this part I must admit that I am very wary of the allegorical preaching for the simple fact that I strongly follow the literal method of interpretation. And by the way, I'm a premillennialist, and most premillennialists, they, they follow the literal uh, method of interpretation. Postmill and Amel, they follow a spiritual method of interpretation. And I'm not saying they're wrong, I'm not saying they're right, I'm not saying that I'm right or I'm wrong, I'm just saying this, you judge for yourself. Amen? Now, I strongly follow the literal method of interpretation because I'm a premillennialist. I believe that when God wants me to know certain truths of His Word, then He conveys it to me through His written Word. As a man of God, I have no ability whatsoever to decode God's Word. And in our modern day, oh boy, this is what's happening. We decode God's Word. We break it down. We analyze it. No, brother, I don't decode God's Word. There's one man, or one person that leads me into truth. And that's not my decoding. The Spirit of God will take the things of the Christ and unveil it to me. If there's any decoding to be done, if there's any illumination to be done, it has to be done by the author of the Word. And the revelator and the illuminator of the Word is none other than the Spirit of God. I've got no ability whatsoever to decode God's Word. I read it, I study it, but illumination comes from the Spirit of God. It doesn't come from me. No matter what gift I have as an ascended gift, I have no power on my own to decode God's Word. God's Word doesn't need decoding. It needs revelation upon revelation, and that is simply but illumination. Woo! Praise God. As a man of God, I have no ability whatsoever to decode God's Word. It is the Spirit of God that illuminates God's Word, and therefore I present this teaching for your personal perusal, that you may personally decide whether my allegorical presentation is of the Lord. Amen. Don't just take what I'm saying. Pray about it. Seek the face of the Lord. Uh, uh, talk to ministers. Whether they speak against what I'm going to preach, teach now, doesn't matter. But after a year from this one and that one, the for and against, you sit down in the presence of God and you speak to the author of the word. Man, we, we, we're not the authors of the word. We are but messengers of the word. Are you with me? And therefore, sometimes, as I said earlier on, there are three spirits in the world, the spirit of man, the spirit of, of, of evil, and the spirit of the Holy Spirit. You've got to judge. Judge what is being said. Go to your pastor. Hear what your pastor says. Amen. Go to other men of God. And after what you heard from other men of God, you sit in the presence of God, and you study, and you seek the face of God, and you say, God, now you speak. I've got all the facts before you. This is what Thomas said. This is what Harry said. This is what Dick is saying. But now come and Lord, tell me what Peter, James, and John said. What was their word that they got from you? I want the true word. Amen. Judge the spirits. Judge me. Judge your pastor's word. 
Amen. Praise God. Now, with all what I've said about the allegorical method, all I've said about the other methods of preaching, now let me approach the subject, and that is the resurgence of the fivefold ministry. Amen. Let me reiterate that. The resurgence of the fivefold ministry. Ian will put it up, not now, but later on. If you look here, can you see it, Ian? I have a picture drawn of a hand. And it's the thumb is A, the, oh boy, the index finger is pro, a P, the middle finger is E, the, the, the finger next to the smallest finger is P again, and then the last finger is T. Amen. This is what we're going to talk about. What is in your hand? Whether it's an A in the thumb, whether it's a P, whether it's a E, whether it's a P, whether it's a T. Now, speaking about the resurgence of fivefold ministry, presently the church is experiencing a mighty deluge of God's abundant grace and power. And you know, I always say this, and I'm glad that I can repeat it over and over again, because repetition is a law of teaching. The more we hear of what God is saying, the more we will attain and retain of it. Amen? There's a marvelous reawakening of the Ephesians 4.11 ministry groups. Most denomination and local churches have entitled these essential gifts as the ascended gifts of Christ. The fivefold ministry gifts. Amen. Now, that is common, but there is also a belief, and I've got to mention it. Amen. Because, not because people disagree with me that I discard what they believe and what they teach. I open my ears, and if it's credible, I give them credit for it. There are some in the church that believe in the ascended gifts, but they don't accept the fivefold ministry gifts. They accept Four, they accept the, uh, the apostle, they accept the prophet, the evangelist, but they say that pastors and teachers are one gift. Amen? So they believe in four, an apostle one, a prophet number two, an evangelist number three, and a pastor and a teacher having the two gifts as one. So they believe in four. But most of the modern day church believes in these five ministerial gifts as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Many church denominations only accept the ministries of pastors, evangelists, and teachers. That's they only accept the three and not the other two. They are of the persuasion that apostolic and prophetical ministry cease with the close of the apostolic period. So let me reiterate. There are some that only accept four which I mentioned, and there are some that only accept three. Now, let me reiterate, let me read that again. There are some that only accept three. They are the persuasion that apostolic and prophetical ministry ceased with the close of the apostolic age period, and therefore their constitutions in their churches do not mention these three ministries. I must concur, and listen to me carefully now, I must concur that there was a definite closure 
of the apostolic ministry. Now, though I said it, don't switch the video off. <laughs> don't throw the notes away that you write for and I will send you by email. <laughs> don't, don't, no, 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 don't switch it off. Listen to this. I am of the persuasion, and that through study, that there was a closure of the specific ministry of the foundational apostles. Let me repeat that. Let me re-echo that. Let me reinstate that. I am of the persuasion that there was a, a closure of the specific ministry of the foundational apostles. These men, these apostles, these apostles that were with Je these were the apostles that were with Jesus and Paul, who sees himself as one born, born out of due time. This is what Paul says of himself, and I believe as a foundational apostle. And last of all, he was seen of me also as one as of one born out of due time, for I am the least of the apostles that am not meant to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. I remember years ago, my dear friend Ronnie Knight, and what a mighty man of God. Ah, what a mighty man of God. What a humble man of God. He was used of God to bring about a change of attitude and a change of mind in the Apostolic Faith Mission Church in South Africa. South Africa. He believed strongly in apostolic ministry and many, many occasions he presented his beliefs to it and sad to say at first they, they saw him, you know, you know, but he persevered. And I remember being in one meeting with him, a young man said, said this and he, and, 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 and he had a good, 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 good uh, 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 argument. He said, hey, you guys that believe in apostles today, you know that for you to be, for you guys to be apostles, if you are apostles, you have to have seen, you have to have seen the Lord. I listened to this and I looked at Ronnie and be honest, to be honest, I don't think he had an answer. To be honest, I don't think at that point of time I, I had an answer. But time has moved on and I've got an answer today. You see, truth is never, never always revealed instantly. Illumination doesn't come one bang, it comes progressively. Even as the Word of God came in stages, as the revelation came in stage by stage by stage, also our illumination as we mature, as we live holy lives, as we spend time with God and with God's people, we grow in revelation upon revelation. Now, let me go. Uh, uh, further on. Now, I do believe that Paul was a foundational apostle. Alright? Let, let me read that part again. I am of the persuasion that there was definitely a close of the specific ministry of the foundational apostles. These were the apostles that were with Jesus and Paul who sees himself as one born out of due time. Listen again. And last of all he was seen of me also. And that's why the brother asked that question. As a one born out of due time. In other words, he wasn't of the original twelve. 
For I am the least of the apostles that am, that am not meant to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. And that's recorded in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 8-9. And by the way, I'm using the King James there. Paul sees himself as an apostle that received his apostolic ministry after Jesus had chosen the original 12 apostles and therefore he considers himself as an apostle born out of due time. However, though Paul's apostolic ministry was out of due time, he was most definitely equal with the other 12. For he definitely was also a foundational apostle. One who had received divine revelation from God. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. Did he not say, For I received of the Lord. What did he receive? Revelation upon revelation. He received the word of God. If I remember rightly, help me here. I'm getting old, my memory doesn't serve me right. Did he write 13, 13 uh, books of the Bible? Or was it 8? I think it's eight, it's eight, eight, eight. I can't remember. Please forgive me. I'm an old man now. My memory doesn't serve me right. And by the way, I'm not Mr. No all day. And I'll, <laughs> what do you send you? Google might be able to tell you. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Google might be able to tell you. <laughs> that would be rather looking the Bible. Uh, uh, by the way, I might know it, not know it all whether it's eight or 13. <laughs> but, but, but I think it's eight. But let me say this. I might not know it all. But praise God, I know him that knows it all. Don't forget that. Um, Paul was definitely a foundational apostle who had received divine revelation. The other foundational apostles were first-hand witnesses of Christ's ministry and received the revelation of God's word personally from Jesus. Paul had a personal encounter with Jesus on the road of Damascus when he literally saw Jesus. Now... When we consider 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 8 to 9, it seems that Paul is setting a precedent for foundation of post-apostolic ministry. Foundation apostles had to have seen Jesus. Acts 1, 15 to 26. However, though that be authentic, we cannot deny the fact that even whilst the foundation apostles were still alive and ministering, there was another who was mightily used of God. Oh, this has to be repeated. However, though that be authentic, that meaning that uh, Paul had seen the Lord, we cannot deny the fact that even whilst the foundation apostles were still alive and ministering, there was another apostle who was mightily used of God. Who was this? Come on now. You surely know this man. You've got to know him. He was very instrumental in the, in, the, in the bringing forth of the ministry of Paul. This man was Barnabas, the son of consolation, who with Paul was sent to the nations from the Antioch church. Now, like uh, uh, Barnabas, was not a foundational apostle. Acts 31 to, to 4 speaks of this. And yet together with Paul, Barnabas planted several churches throughout the known world. He did exactly what Paul and the other foundation apostles had done. He planted churches and established the saints. 
Dr. Robert Munyan in his book, Apostles, Apostolic People and Churches, makes a valid point concerning the three sources of apostolic ministry. By the way, that's in pages 6 to 8 in his book. He speaks of Jesus, the apostle sent by God, the Father, the apostles, that being the foundational apostles of the Lamb, John 20, 21, and the apostles sent forth by the Holy Spirit, being Barnabas and Saul, who later became Paul. Now, 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 now let, me, let me say this. There, there can be a wrangle about that. But let your mind, you know, pray about these things that you, you don't understand. There is a distinction there. Not so. I said the apostles of the Lamb and the apostles of the Spirit. And Robert Munyan said that, Dr. Robert Munyan. But remember the one thing. Remember the one thing. One of the titles of the Spirit of God is the Spirit of Christ. Amen. Think about it. Just think about it. Think about it. Think about it. Think about it. That Christ added on to the foundation of apostles and even apostles today through the Holy Spirit who gives these gifts through the Spirit of Christ. So it's still Christ doing the work. Think about it. Pray about it. Seek the face of the Lord. Now, Jesus said to them, let me give you the, 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 the scriptures concerning this of um, uh, 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 how we, why we believe. Jesus said to them again, Peace with you, be with you. As the Father sent me, even so I am sending you. John 20, 21. The Father sent the chief apostle. By the way, there's only one chief apostle. Today, there's no such thing as any other chief apostle. This is contrary to scripture. There's only one chief apostle, and that's Jesus Christ. Amen? Even as the Father has sent me, even so am I sending you. Right. Then, let's go to the Antioch church. Now, they were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, and Munion. And that's not Robert Munion, by the way, a member of the court of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them forth. Now notice the terminology. This is vital, it's imperative, it's, it's important. No one can describe how important those two words are. They were sent forth. Just as Jesus sent forth, sent the foundational apostles, in the same way the Spirit of God sent Barnabas and Saul. Amen. Praise God. It is remarkable how the same word is used by the Holy Spirit to emphasize and authenticate the apostles of the Father, the apostles of the Lamb, and the apostles of the Holy Spirit. The word being sent or sending. Important. As minute as the word is, the word sent, it has great imperative important, essential significance. During a word study on the Greek word for sin, much present-day truth is revealed. The word apostle has its meaning rooted in the word saint. An apostle is an emissary, an ambassador, a representative, a messenger, 
representing the highest authority of his land with divine orders to carry those orders out in a foreign land. I think that's also from uh, Dr. Robert Munyan's book. This no doubt sets a precedent for the present day church. Modern day apostles of the Holy Spirit, like the Apostle Barnabas, work alongside the foundational apostles. This is important. I had to reiterate. It's got to go into your spirit. The spirit of God has to illuminate. This, no doubt, sets a precedent for the present day church. Modern day apostles of the Holy Spirit, like the Apostle Barnabas, works alongside the foundational apostles. Although Barnabas was not a foundational apostle, he worked alongside Paul who was a foundation apostle for the simple fact he received the word of God. How do modern day apostles work alongside foundational apostles? The foundation apostles are long God. They, they, they did in God, they buried. Yes, they are no more amongst us. However, though they are dead in God, the word that is foundational word is that on which we stand. You know, there's a, a word in, 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 in Hebrews that I love. Though they are dead, yet they speak. Right? Now, let me read a scripture. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints of the members of the house of our God, built on the foundation of the apostles. And who are those? Who are those apostles? Those are the foundational apostles. All those who received divine revelation by the Spirit and recorded it under the unction and direction of the Spirit of God. These men inbreathed the Word of God. Rather, the Spirit of God inbreathed these words into their spirit. And these are, let me read it again. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are a fellow citizen with the saints and members of the house of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. Ephesians 2, 19 and 20, the English Standard Version. Like Abel, though dead, the foundation apostles yet speak. Hebrews 11 verse 4. Modern day apostles like all of God's born again people stand on the foundational truth, truth of the foundational apostles. It is their foundational word that is the foundational apostles word that modern day apostles resound, preach and teach. Modern day apostles re-echo the words of the foundational apostles. The foundation will speak by revelation and the modern-day apostle speaks by illumination. But he doesn't speak outside of the revealed, the revealed word of the foundation of the apostles. Woo, that's a big mouthful. Listen, let me say this. There's absolutely, absolutely no need for another foundation. Modern-day apostles have no new revelation from God. However, they possess a unique God-ordained ability to illuminate the Word of God. They shed light on what has already been revealed through the foundational apostles. Oh, praise God. Sadly, to this very day, the church is wrangling 
over the apostolic and prophetic ministries of Ephesians 4, 8, 16. As I present the allegory of the cloud, I encourage you to put aside your preconceived ideas and notions of fivefold ministry. Ask God for an open heart and judge, not only according to the Word of God, though this is the prime means of judgment, but also toward the dire need that is prevalent in a modern-day church for episode and prophetical ministry. Amen. Look in the light of the Word, but also see that there's a need for it. And if there's a need for it, then surely there's got to be apostles today. I'll just throw it in. Do you know that the purpose of apostolic ministry hasn't changed? It's to bring the church to unity, to one faith. Are we in unity? Are we of one faith? <laughs> Think about it. Now, let me read to you of, of, of the cloud. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go out, eat and drink, for there's a sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink. And Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go out now, look towards the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, Go again, seven times. And on the seventh time he said, Behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, Go up and say to Abraham, Prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was great rain. And Abraham rode and went to Jezreel, and the hand of the Lord was in Elijah. And he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. 1 Kings 18, 41 to 46, in the Standard Version. After three and a half years of severe drought, Elijah, the prolific miracle working prophet of God, pronounced to King Ahab the coming forth of the abundance of rain. He made this prophetical announcement and went with his servant to the top of Mount Carmel and prayed for the coming of rain. He positioned himself in a unique fashion, seated and bound on the ground, his face between his knees and his hands clasped tightly between his knees. He began to pray for rain. Seven times he sent his servant to look toward the sea for the coming of rain. At the seventh time of viewing, his servant mentioned a little cloud as big as a man's hand rising up over the sea. Now, considering spiritual application, now this is allegorical, considering spiritual application of the above scripture, there has been a definite spiritual doubt throughout the dispensation of the church. There's been a waiting, a, fa a, a, a fading, a declining of the supernatural wonder works of the Holy Spirit. This cannot be denied. Though throughout the history of the church, there has been definite revivals of the supernatural. God graciously had visited his church with signs and wonders periodically, but it wasn't continuous. It came and stopped, it came and stopped. To this day, many of God's people have enjoyed the spiritual benefits of the Azusa Street Revival of the early, early 20th century. William Seymour, a son of former slaves, was mightily used of God to awaken the body of Christ to the baptism into the Holy Spirit. 
Throughout the world, there was a resurgence of the supernatural wonder workings of God. The body of Christ was once again used of the Holy Spirit in signs and wonders. It was not just speaking in tongues. This great revival also produced great miracles of healing. Churches in America and England once again became mission conscious and throughout the world, the body of Christ experienced what had been taken place in the upper room of Acts chapter 2. In the mid-20th century to about the latter part of the 20th century, there was awakening of faith, the confession of faith, prosperity, the indigenous principles of self-governance, self-propagation, self-supporting, which led to a great exodus from Pentecostal denomination, denomination, the birthing of local independent churches, and finally the synod gifts of Ephesians 4, commonly termed as the fivefold ministry. God has generously, wonderfully poured out His blessings he has wonderfully broken the spiritual drought time and time again, emphasizing certain spiritual truths. Now, I must admit, you've got to understand hermeneutics again. If you study Isaiah chapter 6, which I spoke about sometime, there's a double reference prophecy there. God speaking to Isaiah and God speaking in heaven to the Godhead. Isaiah answered, here I send me. Christ answered, here I send me. Amen. And here's a double reference to what Elijah had experience with the cloud as big as a man first. It spoke of rain coming, rain coming in Elijah's period, and it possibly speaks of rain coming in our period. Does not the Bible say that the latter rain will be greater than the former rain? All right. I know it's allegorical, but pray about it. See what God says to you. Now, like many other Pentecostal and Catholic ministers of the gospel of Jesus. I saw a prophetical element of the cloud as big as the hand of a man. I must admit, I do see it as a double reference pro prophecy. I simply see it allegorically, a happening with a possible hidden meaning to the actual context. In the very introduction of this book, I wrote on the important role in the hand, what, the important role the hand plays in the life of humanity with the emphasis toward what spiritual significance the hand plays in spiritual matters. I also mentioned early in the chapter that it is one thing to bring to God what's in your hand, and it is another thing to realize what God has placed in your hand. Let's now consider what Jesus has possibly placed in the hands of some of his born-again children. Viewing the diagram of the hand, we see the following letters. A P E P T. Amen. Viewing the diagram, and by the way, my dear friend that works with me, Geneva has done this. Oh, and she's an outstanding graphic designer. She drew this, and the A, the P E P T, is on on the tip of each finger and the thumb. Now, now viewing. The diagram of the hand, we see the following letters, A, P, E, P, and T. And may I humbly add that God personally gave me illumination, not revelation, on the significance of the hand and what each finger represents towards spiritual awakening and truth. By the way, I don't claim it myself as original to this, because this, was, this teaching was prevalent about 20, 25 years ago, and by the grace of God, I had a hand in what God was doing in South Africa in uh, reawakening the church uh, with men like 
Robert Robert Moonian and Dr. Ronnie Knight, we were we were heavily involved in bringing about a reawakening. We're going to stop there. Amen. Next week we're going to speak about what the A stands for, what the P stands for, what the E stands for, what the other P stands for, and what the T stands for. These are the five ascended gifts. Amen. I trust you look forward to this. And may God bless you. Let's pray together. Father, we bow before you. Great is the Lord of the harvest. And thank you, Father, within the church, you've given gifts of men to bring about the harvest. These fivefold ascended gifts, which God you have called to perfect the church and to bring forth the priesthood in the church. We pray, God, that even as we taught this morning, that the church will be awakened towards what God is wanting to do and is doing in our day. I know, Father, not all are going to agree with my teaching, but I'm not here, O oh God, to please man. I'm here to please you because I believe I received illumination from you. Well, no doubt that what I've received is to be judged by your people and your church. And if they say it's not of God, God, let it be so. But if they say it's of God, let it be so. We're not here, O oh God, to convince people, to force people. We are here just simply to present the truth. And Father, I ask you, let the truth speak for itself. You know, Father, your servant that's in heaven with you, even now, Apostle Edwin Gray, he taught me something that God I'll never forget. And by the way, Lord, it's his, it's, it's, it's his wife's birthday today. What's the date today, Ian? It is the 8th of December. It's the 8th of December. I, I, I hope it's the 8th or it's either the 7th or the 8th. But it's Sister, Sister Elaine Gray's birthday. These people, Father, were a great help to me. They saw my weakness and my failure, but they looked beyond it and they saw my potential. And I am in the ministry, God, in so many ways because of them. But God, your servant, the husband of Elaine Gray that is with you now, taught me something I'll never forget. He said this, God, truth doesn't need defense. Woo! Isn't that true, Lord? Truth doesn't need defense. All that it needs, as Apostle Edwin Gray said, it only requires declaration. Woo! I declare this word, believing it's from God. Bless your people, bless your church. And Father, continue to raise up the fivefold five ministry that the church might be edified and comforted for the work of the ministry. Amen. God bless you, dear people. Salabashle.